Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I'm your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Joey of Rockledge. Hello. We have a first for you this week. In over three years of doing these shows, this is the first time I will admit that I have ever been nervous about introducing a guest. <laughs> I am quite literally starstruck, <laughs> but I'm going to power on through. Paul Langlois is a member of one of my favorite bands of all time, The Tragically Hip. He's a writer of timeless melodies and captivating guitar riffs. In the 1990s, my roommate Will Arnett and I could not stop playing their albums. And whenever they ventured down anywhere close to New York City, it was like a Canadian holiday in, in New York. They have been a great source of tickles my, much of my adult life. Canadian listeners, of course, don't need any introduction to this iconic band. For our American friends, let me put it this way. Some bands define not just a style, a genre, or a particular time, but ultimately end up signifying and representing something about an entire country. I'm thinking U2 in Ireland, the Rolling Stones in England. In Canada, that is the tragically hip. Songwriters write songs. Music fans turn some of them into anthems, symbols of something much bigger than the song itself. Go look in the dictionary under Canada's Real National Anthem, and I'm <laughs> sure you will find a tragically hip song. We love the hip. We also love that they're from Kingston, Ontario, because here at How to Tickle Yourself, we live right outside Kingston, New York. So they're from our sister city. We also have art by Paul's sister, Sue, on the walls of this house. We are fans of the entire Langlois family. Canadians will also be aware of the death of the hips lead singer Gore Downey from brain cancer in 2017. Given his unique voice, poetic lyrics, and captivating performances, there really couldn't be a tragically hip after Downey. And so along with the rest of the band, Langlois moved into the next phase of his life, which he, I think, recently described as just sort of tinkering around with music, but not really, not really looking to do much. But you can't keep a good guitarist down forever. After being invited to play the closing ceremonies at Canada's Summer Games last year, Paul realized that he needed to get back on the stage again, and the latest incarnation of the Paul Langlois Band was formed, featuring his good friend Greg Ball on guitar and backing vocals, lead guitarist Joe Carscallon, Matt Mulvihill on bass, and drummer Billy Anglin. They just released their debut album, Guess What, on July 14th. Langlois says he's still getting used to being the center of attention after having such a powerful frontman to play behind in Downey for decades, but he's just being modest. This is actually his third solo album after 2010's Fix This Head and 2013's Not Guilty. It's a delightful piece of work. We've been listening to it for a couple weeks here. And while we will let the man tell you about it himself, we might just deign to say that Paul Langlois might just have found his tickle. Again, <laughs> welcome to the show, Paul. It's great to have you. Thanks very much. Uh, wow, Duff, nice intro. You're good at this, eh? <laughs> okay, and you are good at what you do. After present moment, traveling town to town. Mystery of emotion 
know how how you guys uh pick singles the the opening single to um uh guess what it matters to me is a phenomenal song how do you decide that um yeah it, the same way we did in the hip uh we stayed out of it um so <laughs> it's it's just it's smart for any young artists musical artists out there it's smart to let the record company and or the management decide on the single. Um, we did it in the hip, you know, of course we had, you know, say on our one record up to here, we probably would have leaned towards New Orleans, a second and bullet high dough, but we didn't say <laughs> a word and just like, yep, you guys pick the single. And I think they just feel it's it's better if everyone's involved and and they feel more involved and hey we chose and so same with this one i was like up to you i had no idea uh, you're kind of too close to it uh, almost to choose and uh, it's a double it's a bonus because um then they choose a single and they feel good if it it does well <laughs> <laughs> and tell us can you tell us about sort of legging back in here from the from the um, Canada games and, and you guys have now been playing some uh, gigs of increasing uh, size these days, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're playing, we're trying to do, you know, you sort of have to strategize really. I mean, we could be playing clubs. Um, you know, we could, we could go down to the States and play clubs, get clubs, but um, you know, we could get those gigs, but you know, they'd be sort of tiny and it's kind of gets a bit hand to mouth. Um, if you're not filling every club, how do you travel? There's a lot of expenses. So we just decided let's just try and get some festival gigs this year and, you know, in and out and, and just play our show. And so we're doing basically festivals this summer and not a pile of them, but probably it's going to be probably eight by the end of the summer that, that uh, we're going to do so three or four left and um it's been great i mean you mentioned um my lack of comfort with being um up front and in the center and singing uh, but i'll tell you it's it's um it's been so great for my confidence to have these particular people i'm playing with they're just so enthusiastic they're so you know, they butter me up all the time and they're just like, you know, <laughs> um, so I walk out there with uh, a confidence, like probably not nearly the confidence I had walking out with the hip. You know, we were we played a lot, a lot, a lot over way over 30 years. And and um, I w would be nervous, but we were on the same team. We had Gord up front. You know, I mean, it was just we were firing on all cylinders. And um, so it was quite easy to be confident because uh, I was confident in that situation as a singer, much less so, but these guys kind of just pumped me up and they're so excited about the show. And it's just like, let's go do this. And so we played Saturday night, uh, just this past Saturday in a little town outside of Kingston, Gananoque, like at a sort of family park, city park kind of thing on the water. And 
I felt great, you know, just an uh, hour and a half set and um, just played mostly uh, songs off the new record, guess what? But uh, some songs uh, off uh, the two records you mentioned, my previous two solo, and throw Pepper in like three or four hip tunes and, well, that goes over well. You gotta have the crowd. <laughs> Uh, on the subject of venues, you know, one guy we interviewed on here not long ago was Larry Campbell, who was one of Dylan's guitarists, mm-hmm. uh, turn of the century. And yes. he is now touring with his wife, Teresa Williams. And he said that in part, he feels like he went all the way up to the Dylan stadiums, the world tours only to ultimately want to get back to smaller <laughs> venues in the end where he had a different kind of intimacy with the crowd and stuff. So you have played all the big stadiums and, you know, now playing smaller festivals. What's the difference? Like, do you enjoy, can you, is it, is did you want to get back to a smaller size too? Did you care? Um, I don't care that much. The only gig <laughs> I don't like is playing a theater where the house lights are totally dark because some theaters do that and I can't see faces. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, speaking as a singer, as, as a person that's kind of almost hosting as well, um, and we've only done one of those gigs. The hip did a few and it was difficult because you're just kind of looking out into the abyss. You know, people are there, you hear them in between songs, clapping and stuff, but (laughs) um, it's very difficult to play a gig where you can't see people's smiling faces. And um, all the other ones, you know, we, the hip had to learn how to play the big shows, you know, just try and reach up there in the nosebleeds. Um, and we got better and better at it. Um, we didn't have to learn with clubs. It just comes natural. So, you know, playing a club, especially if it's what well, it doesn't even matter if there's only one table while well, you just play your tunes and you look at that table and um, smile at them once in a while. And it was a total learning experience over all these years. So, um you know, I like playing both. We did a warm up club show in Kingston. Uh, before we started the, our festival run this summer. And uh, it was great. There was zero room on stage. Our drummer plays, he's a giant, like literally uh, like six, five. And I don't know what he weighs, but he's just a big, scary, nice guy. And uh, his drums are as big as he is. And basically we had no room on the stage. So there are things that come along with a club gig that uh, <laughs> make it maybe a little more difficult. Uh, once you hit the arenas or big shows, everyone's laid, everything's laid out there for you. So you're, you know, Oh, here's why my amps on. Everything's great. It's in tune. And, um, it's just go time. But, um, no, I, I, I think we're very lucky to have, um, gone I think back. You got, I, I think you need to get down and play Levon's barn. For sure. You're the, you're the right band for that place. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing you guys have been there. I've never been there, but I've certainly seen it. And yeah, um, it's my favorite venue. It's so intimate. Really? Mm-hmm. And is it it's, still going? Yeah. 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 Oh, excellent. That would be unbelievable. But I, I'm going to have to do, you know, a lot more of uh, <laughs> your kind of podcast to get 
This is the starting gate. You know who we saw? You know who we saw there? One of the greatest concerts of my life, uh, the Bar Brothers. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, they were amazing. Yeah, yeah. were they? Yeah. Oh, I know completely them to be amazing. I've never seen them, but they were. Yeah. 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 And so the venue, great. it's just, it's so, it's so tiny and you're just right there. Like talk about being able to see the audience's face. Like <laughs> yeah, you can see every little flicker, but so, it's, it's great. So tiny, like how tiny is it? It's a barn. So it's gotta be kind of big. It's a barn. It's, it's got two levels. Like, uh, they could get probably two, 200 people in there. Oh, so it's not that small. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, it so it, it was Levon's practice space. Right. Like it wasn't originally yeah. designed for performances. So they've got. Okay, yeah. So we we're working on We're going to yeah. work on that. <laughs> okay. All right. I, let, I let's appreciate that. Let's talk about some, some songs. Been waiting to me. I love it. Love it. Love it. Because you oh, turned, fine. you turned waiting for a song into a song. It's <laughs> fucking genius. It's genius. I, I, well, I always take the easy route. I mean, it's just um, there's another as an aside, there's another song in the record that I just made up on the spot without words uh, called 638 Maine. I was just like, I'll just sing about writing a song. I'll just sing about um, what's happening to me right now as I'm singing. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. I, I managed to pull it off, at least to my. Um, no, both of them. And I want to I want to say something about that. My okay. previous books were all sort of serious nonfiction, right? So I'm writing yeah. about some other thing, uh, referencing other stuff. In yeah. Tickled, I basically did what you just said. I figured out how to kind of channel my own thoughts at that very moment. At the moment, yeah. At the moment. And it came, it came out like a flood. It was so easy. Once, like... You got to lock in, right? However that happens. Yeah. But writing about what's happening right now turned out to be, <laughs> it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't be so surprised. This is, what do you know more than what is happening to you <laughs> right now? Like, yeah. do you get the same feeling? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a trick, really. Um, and, and it comes from a deadline, I think. <laughs> sure. And desperation. Um, so, <laughs> like, I had no time left. And we were going in the studio November 8th, and I I had maybe five, six songs, and I wanted 10 or 11. And so it was just like, okay, uh, I'm just going to make something up about how it's going, about how it's going making something up, you know? And right. just kind of... So... I like that uh, that sort of happened. Been waiting. That was for a gig. And it was quite mm. a long time ago. It was, you know, a couple of years ago. And I was playing a venue in Toronto called Hughes Room only because I was asked by a guy named John McDermott, who's a tenor, Irish kind of tenor singer. And, um, you know, I thought I'd write a song and a couple of months went by and I hadn't written anything. And, <laughs> and it was an ice storm ish kind of thing around here. And I was sitting outside just getting pelted by uh, ice rain, as one friend calls it. And um, (laughs) I just had to come up with it. And it's just like, you know what? Basically, I'm saying, I thought it would just come to me. 
And right, that's um, I love the lyric you're, you're talking about. Uh, you take refuge in silence, which I absolutely love that line. But you also <laughs> said leaving it up to the spirit world hasn't just hasn't worked out. It I was hasn't. like, is that like a dark night of the soul, or were you waiting for inspiration? <laughs> yeah, and, and just nothing was working, so I just decided to write about nothing was working, and and I wasn't actually. <laughs> even picking up a guitar. I honestly thought a song would come to me in my head and it didn't. And now we're at two in the morning and I got to go to Toronto at seven. And it's just like, okay, I'm just going to pick up a guitar and do this. <laughs> we set a strong intention. It worked. Oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate De that. Uh, desperation calling is a similar theme <laughs> where you are visited by desperation. Who's like, Hey buddy, what's up? It's been a while. Yeah. Love, love the, love the switching perspectives in that. Such a cool song. I'm glad you caught that, you know, with the, um, like, I'm glad you caught the switching of perspectives because when we, you know, the artwork, a, a very good friend of mine who I play music with a lot too, Jim Tidman took all the pictures and conceived of the cover and uh, the pictures on the inside too. And, he did a beautiful job. And then I was working with the designer for uh, the record company I have uh, that that signed me for this. And um, his name was AJ and we didn't meet in person. He sounded very young, like he sounded like early 20s. And, and I had like in brackets desperation, uh, you know, colon to tell people that, OK, this is desperation calling. So right, these right. are desperation's words. <laughs> these are this guy's words. And then it would then it said me in brackets. Um, you know, and then I'd be like, you know, make yourself at home and all that kind of stuff. And uh then finally at the last minute I said, AJ, I don't want to spoon feed these people, you know. <laughs> like they can they, I'm hopeful that they can figure out desperation talks and I talk and he talks and I talk or it could be a she, you know, it's a thing. But I tried to explain this to a crowd in Gananoque and it happened to be a French festival. And, uh, it, it, you know, it didn't go great. I kept it short, but you know, I just tried to describe that there was desperation actually called me. Right. You know, on the phone. I <laughs> I think uh, my training as the Bob Dylan fan helped me to spot that one out of the gate. <laughs> Maybe it does. I'm very happy you spotted it. It's shifting. <laughs> he he showed me sh shifting perspective in music, like you know, Brownsville Girl, all that stuff. Um, well, and I could. I, it jumped right out at me. Me too. I mean, he's he's. It was my biggest influence um, when I long before I picked up a guitar because I didn't start till I was 19. Bob Dylan was the guy and um, he taught me about lyrics. So you even mentioning mm. him is just awesome to me. I was going to ask how you got started because you, you mentioned in something I read that you weren't a musicologist. Um, no. Like a lot of the people you played with, you didn't grow up that way. So how, um, what did bring you to music and to playing and to all of this? Uh, well, like, to be honest, I was running out of money. I was at, um, <laughs> I was in first year university and, you know, I got, we have a thing called OSAP up here with, so they basically lend you three or four grand. And I was through it 
by mid-October, and you know, school started <laughs> beginning of September. And um, I asked my mom. Um, well, I told her, "Listen, I'm running out of money. Um, is there any way I can, yeah, get a loan? I'll pay back, you know, in the summer when I get a job." And um, she's like, "No." And I said, "Okay," but she always, always said, "You should, you should play music. You should sing. You got a nice voice." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "How do you know?" And because I've heard you sing, and you could say you should do it. And I was like, "Nah, it's not really for me." Anyway, this guy on my floor had a guitar for sale. And I had no money for Christmas presents, and I was coming home. So after I bought the guitar for a hundred bucks, that was it. That was it. And uh, I just decided to learn a song for her. Um, Oh, the Beatles book um, that my my roommate um, had, like a guitar chord book. So I just started playing and learning a song with the intention of playing a song for her for Christmas instead of buying something. And oh my god that's so sweet <laughs> it literally happened and um it went okay like she was lovely it's not like she was mean about she was doing me a favor by saying no oh obviously and, yeah and um so i started music really because of her um wow. because she was relentless between i was 19 when i started playing guitar but she was on me since i was 13 to would you just play? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so I credit her all the That's way. A great story. <laughs> you I never saw, know. I, I woke up this morning. We were in the bedroom and Joey said something to me and I looked over. I said, quit hollering at me. And <laughs> I was like, wait, who sang that again? And I was like, ah, John Prine. Um, yes. You are also point to Prine as a influence. Oh yes, yeah. What a, that, what about John Prine? Well, I think he, um, you know, that was a thing. I didn't. I wasn't a big fan of my roommate. He was in second year, so it's the same time period. Um kind of played Dungeons and Dragons and they, you know, he and three other nerds would do it like, you know, the bed is like 20 feet away (laughs) and, you know, I just have to roll over and ignore it. And, um, but he had an album collection and John Prine, there was a cover, um, that stuck out to me. I'm like, what's this guy sound like? He's sitting on the hay bale, whatever record that is. Right. And, um, I put him on and it was like, he was, he was singing to me. It was like this guy, because I was already into Dylan and, and I knew pretty much everything Dylan had done, but I'd never heard of John Prime. And it was like, oh my God, this is, guy is almost even better, like for my ear, just because he just tied up everything so well, I think lyrically. Whereas Dylan leaves you hanging and of course, of course <laughs> you're, you're trying to figure it out and he's amazing, top of the heap, but John Prine would tie them up in a little bow, like a, just mm-hmm. a little story about For sure. driving or whatever, you know, that the, <laughs> I love that song where he goes to get the popcorn and, you know, comes back and she's in some other guy's car. And, it, you know, it was just <laughs> much more kind of reality based. So he was the best. We were actually going to go see him in New York city. And I'm, um, Unfortunately, COVID hit and um, right. passed away. So I never got to see him. But 
I saw him. I saw him once at the Capitol Theater with my brother Steve about ten or twelve years ago. Did you? Um, and yeah. he was you know, whatever that health issue is. He had like thyroid issues or something. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. So he was a little um, constrained. Yeah. Like it wasn't the John Prine in my in my dream concert, mm-hmm. but. It was everything else that you could have asked for. I was like, thank God I saw him um, before this is over. Because, like, I agree with you. I think his lyrics are neater, uh, funnier, and Dylan's hilarious, but Prime can be funnier. Um, He's also kinder, (laughs) right? Yes, yes. There's like a sweetness to him, like a gentleness or something underlying like, all of it. No question. And such a dude when he was younger. I mean, I found, used to be able to find a lot on the internet. So this is years ago, but <laughs> I find, found some stuff, John Prine, like with him just, I don't know, maybe you can still find it, but he's playing in a kitchen. Like he was just <laughs> such a real dude. And... um so happy and his kindness actually as you say joey it, it really it it comes through in these things that i mean a lot of this stuff the internet and that's kind of been washed clean so i don't know if you could find it but um anyway he just just seemed like the the real thing and he's a mailman you know he was a mailman it's just like and just <laughs> singing his songs that. as he's in chicago and it's amazing he's from Chicago. I would have guessed Nashville <laughs> every day or Memphis or whatever. Right, right. He's right. from Kentucky. And it's, it's just, uh, anyway, he was amazing. And he is on the playlist always and always campfire. You know, I, I, I cut my teeth on playing his songs. Um, what's the one I, you, Joey, that I used to get you into him was, is it clay Lake doves? Marie? Oh, Lake Marie. Yeah. Lake Marie. Now, Duff introduced me to John prime. And I was like, how do I not, how have I missed this? So it's like this whole world opened up. It's amazing. Like I love, and he's so singable too. I love to sing along. He's yeah. Great. So many. And it was the same for me. And, and, um, I credit my roommate and it was just like, <laughs> wow, this is a whole new world. This is someone I, I really, really will always love. Blessings so our, come in strange places, right? Your the, your mom not helping you out was a huge blessing. Yes, your roommate. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You never know. Never know. Our friend uh, Crazy Legs Conti uh, taught me not to say that this or that is my favorite thing. Right? I, you know, uh, I'm not. I try not to say that anymore. Yeah, um, I think that's smart. I think that's good advice. So I'm just gonna say this. Okay. <laughs> the face of time. Is a pretty awesome song on your new album. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, I don't know what that one really was about. Um, well, it's about commitment, really, I think, in general. It's just like, we're going to do this. And um, even Joanne knew it was about her and me. And there's a lot about her and me on there, you know, Um but that one in particular is kind of like, hey, we're going to let's just get to the softer sand. Let's just we got to just keep it up, mm-hmm. you know. And and so, yeah, and it was supposed to be a quiet little number. But damn that Bill Anglin again, drummer, <laughs> you know, it's just like this was going to be like a moody little number. Like I'm just kind of like, plink, 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 plink. And, 
singing quietly and all of a sudden he's like boom you know it's just uh but it really works as a, a rock tune for me i love playing it like that but i really intended it to be far moodier <laughs> i um and when I was writing Tickled, Joey managed to sneak in and take over huge parts of that book. <laughs> Suddenly found I was write, writing about her all the time. I'm the like, best Wait, part. Is this the most important thing to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. The best part is the, is, is what's it called? The acknowledgement. No, it's not acknowledgements in the beginning when you dedicate the dedication. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you say, Duff? It was so nice. Must have been it, says, nice. it says, for Joey, you were right. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. that's perfect. I just like to hear him say it. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And even though we're not picking favorites of hip songs, <clears throat> I got to say, um, I heard you talking in an interview um, where you're talking about a tr- transitional, big transitional moment for the hip. Ahead by a Century has got to mm. be one of the most beautiful f- songs of all time. And as you said, it's like where is kind of softness got into your music. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was a different song for us and, and um, like a different. Yeah. He played it for me and teared up. For me? <laughs> when he played it for me, he yeah. was teary eyed. Like it, it, like it got him. <laughs> yeah. It's very sweet. Always. Yeah. It was kind of, yeah, different sort of, we kind of knew it at the time. It was kind of like not necessarily a different style, but, but a different style, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, this is a weird one, like d- very different. And so, and that's the last song we ever played together. And that mm-hmm. was intentional mm-hmm. um, because we knew it was um, some sort of uh, as close as we could get to a universal and communal sort of um, song. So it always meant a lot to us. And uh, I would say pretty rare we didn't play it after we we had recorded it. It was kind of like, okay, this is welcome to the staple section. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but so let's can we explore that just a, a briefly? Like clearly, yeah. um, so our our taxonomy here is the tickle, right? It's the tickle yeah. of existence. Love so it. as um, as a band that that uh, wrote and performed dozens of great songs, what is it like? There's something there that, as you say, it was different, and it got to like even just the guitar at the beginning, right? It's like it 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 instantly as a listener, it's like ah, here we go again. As a performer and songwriter, what is that? What do you think you captured? Um, well, I, I would uh, give a lot of credit to Johnny and uh, that little drum machine, which we'd never done before. Like, he plays the drums on it, but we're all playing to this little drum machine. Once Johnny kicks in, <laughs> we, the rest of us forget about the drum machine. We just play to Johnny, but... Um, that was interesting. I mean, he and Robbie kind of um, took what was kind of a an acoustic-y song um, with no particular direction, which I would call like Wheat Kings like that or whatever, you know, just kind of like, okay, here's a, here's a song uh, that seems to be okay. And they just uh, 
started experimenting one night um, with with trying to make the song come out um, of its shell somehow. And um, so I think starting with that little drum machine really helps. And then, you know, there's an electric part I come in with later that um, intensifies things. And, you know, there's harmonies and, excuse me, the, um, you know, the subject matter too, and the singing, of course. Um, so I, but it's elusive. A song's elusive, just like I'm sure a book is elusive. Yeah, tough. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of like you just, they're either there or they're not. You know, you start beating that dead horse, and a lot of times, most times, it's not going to work out. You know, <laughs> it's got to be kind of. And that was one of those kind of songs, and 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 we knew it. We knew it at the time. It's a conduit. Yeah. It- mm-hmm. What are you? Uh, what are you listening to now? Uh, like not too much. Um, I kind of most of the music I listen to, I'm floating around YouTube or whatever, watching, you know old John Prine stuff or, you know, Dylan stuff. Jason Isbell, I love. Um, I just think he is uh, a notch above um, as far as his uh, songwriting and um, and performance. Saw him in New York City. at uh, It's a pretty new venue. Pier something. Pier 21. Pier 17. Pier 17. Why do yeah. I Pier 21? <laughs> uh, Pier 17. And... It's wow, you just blew and I was with uh Joanne, but also with Johnny. And um yeah, he just he was just so great. Um so he'd be my favorite. I keep in touch with local acts, you know, just if they're playing, um, I'll go out and um see some local acts and Greg Ball's one of them, uh who's in my band, so he's temporarily on hiatus and he would love to be on hiatus forever <laughs> from Greg Ball. <laughs> so he says. But so, uh, yeah, so I'm not like overly current, current, but our daughters, when we go see them or when they're visiting, you know, they take over the music and um, they play interesting things too. So, yeah. And uh, what in your life right now, um, the, this album not included, but what are the things in your life that sort of light you up, like light your soul up? What, what tickles you? <laughs> um. You know, funny, I, I would say um, being social, for sure. I mean, older now, so it's like <laughs> dinner party, um, cottage, campfire. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we love it at the cottage. I love it at the cottage, and I love a campfire where the guitar is being passed around. That's one of my favorite things ever. And I have strict rules, you know, show respect. Um, don't talk while he's singing two song <laughs> or where she's singing two song maximum, you know, these kind of, and the girls are on the tree, you know, <laughs> painted on the tree. be respectful. Uh, so anyway, I love that. Um, more than anything, I mean, I'm just very lucky. I have so many friends and I love family too. You know, I have uh, three great sisters, one of which Duff, you're very good mm-hmm. friends with. And, um, 
and uh, so family, of course, but uh, just so blessed with friends. So I would say that's my favorite thing is to get together. And we got a spot that a few of us uh, will meet in the afternoon at a place called the Red House downtown, which is just a few blocks away from me. And um, so that's probably my absolute favorite thing, I would say. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, so you sit around the campfire and you tickle yourself. <laughs> absolutely. No, I love it. And I love listening. I mean, I'm happy to take my turn, but I love, there's so many people that play music that I know. And it's just like, wow, I just love just sitting back and, and uh, listening to you, someone. You know, what's wild too is same. I love the exact same things you talked about. And the hip has been the background music for a lot of that, <laughs> mm. too. So you guys were writing the background music for the ticklish experiences. <laughs> Thanks for that. Well, thank you. And and um, it's it's always been, um, you know, because you run into people or at shows or whatever. And they'll be like, yeah, we play you on the dock or, you know, that. Somehow we got very associated with cabins and cottages and lakes and <laughs> and um, dock parties and um, yeah. The only time it was a curse was one time we played Molson Park and Joanne and I stayed in a motel like just adjacent to Molson Park and every room was playing the hip crank and it was after the show <laughs> and I I was scared shitless like it was just like. Fortunately, you could smoke in the rooms back then, so I didn't have to like go out to the, <laughs> to the motel. But it was just like, oh my god, you know, like I didn't think they were going to kill us or anything, but it was just like, I cannot show my face. Everyone's cracking, blowing I know. It's just like this is very uncomfortable. Um, but then gradually, as you get older, um, you appreciate it more, you know, and. Um, we had some good times like Robbie would love to do this. And I did it with them. Like if you're, if we played a venue, I remember doing it in Newfoundland once and uh, maybe the other one, I remember was out East as well, Moncton or something, but um, you know, go around the camps after the show's over, go around all the campsites. Cause there's a million campers and then just drop by a campfire, like look for a campfire and then just sit down there. I mean, Robbie's to be avoided. Like I wouldn't <laughs> walk downtown with him or anything because he's just so Robbie Baker that, um, you know, people that just come up to him, I can kind of slip down. And But anyway, uh, really learn to enjoy it. That, that connection that people have with the music. Um, mm -hmm. And those are the ways to really in your mind and heart appreciate it. Because for the most part in my life, I totally forget about it. I, 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 it's just not even a part of anything unless someone says, Hey, mm -hmm. I really, you, you know, thanks for your music. And it's like, Oh, yeah, right. Right. I, I was, <laughs> I wasn't that bad. <laughs> no. And, and listeners, let's be clear here. Uh, you know, tragically hip are one of the greatest uh, rock and roll bands you'll ever hear. But uh, the Paul Langlois band, which is why we were talking here today, their album, guess what, which just came out is got, it's got, um, several standouts on it, none of which are my favorite, uh, <laughs> but several of which I will point to and say those are great songs. So uh, you still got it. And um, thank you for, A, all the tickles over the years, but um, 
B, for joining us today. It's been a fucking blast. Well, yes. thank you, Duff and Joey. And hey, you were roommates with Will Arnett. Can you get me on his podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe we'll send him a link to this one. But yes, of course. Um, In New York? Yeah. You know what? He's been so great. Um He's actually in our documentary, like a documentary is being made. It's kind of like four episodes, hour episodes. Um, and Gord's brother, Mike, older brother, Mike, is doing it. And so we've kind of got, it's not due until like next September. I would, I would not want to be Mike, uh, <laughs> you know, because it's kind of beginning to end. But Will is in that uh, a couple of times and he's just speaking so highly of, of us and Oh my God. We used to, you were our, we went out, we saw you on Long Island. You played some club in Long Island one time. We saw you at Hammerstein. We saw you at. Uh, so he's not lying. Yeah. No. Because he gives the impression that he saw us a lot. Oh no, he did. He, he actually, um, you know, uh, I was obviously aware of you guys just by the virtue of being Canadian. But yeah. uh, Will was obsessed and Will dragged me into the music in a way that I might not have gotten, you know, without that help. He, he, uh, he's a huge fan. Yeah, uh, it really comes off that way. And I was just like, wow, we never really <laughs> maybe we met him once, but I'm just like, really? Is he really a fan? We're gonna we'll, we'll make like that. Fan, but did he really see us more than once? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Many Were times. you guys roommates when they they evidently the hip stayed in your room in your apartment no, when you weren't that there? Was later oh. on um, okay. when I was living with Gabrielle. Will's yeah, favorite. Will, yeah. Will's favorite song for a long time. Now I'm speaking for him. <laughs> hey, Will. I love uh, was Wheat Kings. He loved Wheat Kings. Oh, nice. Like, it was on all the time. Easy um, to play. No. He's a huge fan. We're going to oh, make that connection. Okay, well, that's neat. Um, say hello, and if he plays guitar, that's the easiest song ever to play. <laughs> and that was no accident. <laughs> Let's write an easy one. <laughs> so, listeners, you you heard you heard him here today. Maybe next you'll hear him on uh, uh, Will Arnett's podcast with uh, with uh, on Smartless. Will, if you're listening, get your booker on this. <laughs> Paul, thanks for joining us. It was great. You know what? Thanks, uh, Paul. It's so great to see you again, Duff, and great to meet you, Joey. And um, Me too. yeah, this was fun. So I really appreciate it. Nice podcast. Thanks. Cheers, dude. Okay. Bye. We'll see ya. Okay, Paul Langlois. He's so nice. Like, what a nice human. And uh, it's just kind of a little surreal. Um, you know, we don't know a lot of... We don't hang around with a lot of um, famous, famous people, but also just someone who is sort of in the background of a lot of your life. <laughs> right. right. Like, I, he provided one... He's one of the sound trackers of my life and not in a, um, you know, just heard it in the bar thing. We, and to reiterate, 
Will Arnett's a huge Tragically Hip fan, <laughs> bigger than I was. Uh, but I was a big one too. We like if they came down to New York City, we were going. And um uh just so great to see him, you know, still doing his thing. The death of Gord Downey was, you know, it's basically like it was a national day of mourning in Canada. Mm. Um, but uh Paul still got it and the stuff on uh guess what uh has echoes of the hip a little bit. Um and but also clearly, you know got his own thing going on and there's some there's some fun stuff some fun lyrics um and i really especially love the parts where he's like working out the fact that he's trying to write songs and they're not coming to him (laughs) because it's a genius thing to do right you the you want to catch the present moment and instead of being frustrated that the thing that you wanted to be there wasn't there he switches and captures what's happening in the present moment it's it's that's how you do it yeah um so, um, it was fun that he, um, and especially in that other song, Desperation Calling, I'm psyched yeah. that, that he saw that I caught what he was doing there because it's pretty interesting shifts of perspective. And you'll be happy to know that my first thought when you were talking about that was Brown- Brownsville Girl. I think it's Brownsville Girl. Right, exactly. <laughs> Where he goes back and forth and you never really know who's talking. Yeah. So, okay. Moving right along here. I've got a... um uh thing for you here this isn't one of our counterintuitive ones uh but it's uh it falls into the realm of things that you and i like to talk about so that's why i've got it for you um i was reading this book this week uh called sage mukundraja's paramamrita uh pointers to self-realization uh translated by one of my favorite um uh, Vedanta sages, uh, Ramesh Balsakar. And he used this great line in here. So he's talking about how the way to um, an enlightened state is you got to pull away from the senses, right? And you got to turn back within to the source of everything. So I'm going to read you a couple lines, but the punchline's at the end. He says, instead of looking ahead, one must look back and seek the source so that one comes to know one's true being. What one sees from that source is nothing but all-pervading oneness, where there is no maya, no non-knowledge, something immeasurable and which one can know or experience only by oneself. That knowledge is self-effulgent, like an extremely thick heap of profound happiness. (laughs) The realization of which means the end of the cycle of birth and death. So what are we looking for, people? You want to find within you that extremely thick heap of profound happiness. That's amazing. I love that. Right? We called it Delight. the slab for a while. It's a heap. <laughs> right. A, a heap of profound happiness is such a, it's a more inviting than the slab. Right? The slab <laughs> seems a little uh, cold. Um, all right. So listeners, to close off today. Uh, um, speaking of tickled, I wrote in there, any of you who haven't read it, you know, book with haste, go get it now. (laughs) Um, and, um, uh, I wrote about Joey a lot and I was reading, uh, she introduced me to the poet, uh, Hafez, what is he? Persian? Yep. Persian 13th century. Okay. So, um, the translations by Daniel Ladinsky are all wonderful. 
Uh, I have a tattoo that comes from one of the Hafez poems um, that Joey also got. But here's here here he's talking about Joey. This poem's called What Happens. What happens when your soul begins to awaken your eyes and your heart and the cells of your body to the great journey of love? First, there is wonderful laughter and probably precious tears and a hundred sweet promises and those heroic vows no one can ever keep. But still God is delighted and amused. You once tried to be a saint. (laughs) What happens when your soul begins to awake in this world to our deep need to love and serve the friend? Oh, the beloved will send you one of his wonderful, wild companions. <laughs> like Hafez. <laughs> <laughs> so he dominates himself. But yeah, uh, he sent he got me, me you, Joga. He sent me you. <laughs> that one got me for sure. Oh, I love him. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back with you in a week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your host, Duff McDonald, and me, Joey of Rockledge. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of The Sidemen with Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. This podcast is produced and distributed by Stork Media. Our editor is Oscar Desiderio. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck LaBella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com. <laughs>